We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Abel Lurinx. Abel is the first team analyst for Budapest Honved in Hungary. We met a few years ago at an event at Leicester City and I've kept in touch. He put some absolutely brilliant information out on Twitter, got some blogs as well, great tactical analysis pieces that I would recommend all coaches check out. So I wanted to get him on and talk specifically about pressing. I promise not to promote the pressing book that I've written on modernsoccercoach.com too much. <laughs> but I'm really fascinated by how it's coached, especially in different cultures, and how it's approached by different coaches in terms of somewhat of a reluctance and caution when we talk about aggressive team defending and why we always seem to associate pressing with fitness and with speed in our players, how it's delivered, how instructions are delivered on game day. Do we have to stand and roar and yell and tell our players to go, 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 go? How do we judge the success of it? Wanted to get Abel's thoughts on that, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Absolutely brilliant insight. So look forward to hearing your thoughts, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Also just put a blog up yesterday on modernsoccercoach.com about defending a cutback with some video as well so please go on to modernsoccercoach.com check out the article let me know what you think this podcast is brought to you by sports lab 360 a new and innovative online program focused on youth player development from a tactical and soccer iq perspective if you haven't come across their program yet i would highly recommend checking it out it's perfect for any coaches looking to go the extra mile in order to enhance the development experience for their players more coming up at the halfway point. Here is Abel. Enjoy. Abel, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Excited to have you on. Hi, Gary. I'm happy to be on. The topic we're going to look at is pressing defensive work with teams uh, and a little bit moving towards the analysis side in, in terms of coaching. So I wanted to kick it off with the pressing question, you know, you've done some great blogs on it. You've done some great articles on it. How much time on the practice field do you think teams will require before they can press effectively in a game? Uh, to be honest, not much. And I'm a firm believer that teams can start pressing from the very first day or very first uh, session that the coach wants to work on this team. There are countless examples of a coach coming in, even in top-level football and changing things around, changing the attitude of the team and producing a really effective pressing uh, pressing team. So I think from the very first minute. Do you think that we, as coaches then, is it overcomplicating it? Because a lot of, you know, a lot of people are reluctant to press early because we're not fit enough is probably the biggest excuse used. You would challenge that? Yeah, I would absolutely challenge it. There are two things. Uh, we can use in coaching pressing, and one is that you can create explicit triggers 
So, for example, a center back plays the ball backwards behind their back for a bad touch, and that's an explicit trigger. But we also have certain principles, and the principles are very easy to coach and very easy to talk about. And even if you don't know the opponent, uh, you can just start working on the principles with small-sided games in the actual training games. And as you do, of course, the fitness gets better. The specific fitness to the style you are playing gets better. And as you do that, yeah, your pressing will improve. So moving on to that opposition analysis piece, is it right in saying that the higher the level goes up, the more those triggers, they become a little bit more complex? Yes, I think the higher the level, the more specific the match plan can be because you just know so much more about the opposition, more data, more video, and you have more opposition analysis. And also, generally, you have more time on the training field, more, more chance to drill these things. But even if you don't have the video about the opposition and you cannot deliver these explicit triggers, you can still work on the principles and get really, really far with it. So, not to plug my books, but I would argue in my books that the physical component that we are conditioned to think is the most important, I would say it's not even the first requirement. And I would place intelligence in terms of positioning and awareness that that, that must come first. Would you agree with this or, or would you disagree? Uh, I would absolutely um, absolutely agree because without intelligence, you just you can just increase the physical load and without knowing where to run, what the right time is to run, uh, it's just useless. You cannot put the physical side of the game into, into the football context. And I would argue that one of the biggest mistakes that pressing teams make is pressing sometimes when the situation is not there and just running after the ball in a gunko manner. And I would say that physically they are very, very fit, but they fail to apply it in an effective way because they lack the intelligence to do it and find the right moment to do it. If you're looking at a player profile for pressing, and you said there that, you know, the players that are running around and, you know, that maybe we valued 10, 15 years ago as, as being aggressive and quick and fast and suited to a defensive pressing system, and now with the progressions of the game and maybe have a little bit more awareness on the coaching side, those players are, are not standing out as much as they were. So, you know, when you're looking at a team, if you were building a dream team in terms of a player profile or an ID of a player, what what specific things would you look for for a front three or a midfield three or, or whatever your players to press? Uh, for me, it's just very general things are always looking to defend forward and the mindset and the intensity. But to be more specific, they have to, uh, like using the football action knowledge of, or language of Van Hyen. So they need to have better pressing actions, more actions, and also maintain these in time. So maintain the quality of the actions and maintain the level of the pressing actions they are taking. And... There are some very surprising examples who you would think of as very good pressing players, like you see Westergaard playing 90 minutes every week for Southampton, and I wouldn't think of him as a defender who can push up and push forward, but with good coaching, he has actually some really, really surprising uh, moments when he covers in front of the, of the back three, and some very, very good actions from a defender who is Maybe a little bit bigger, slower, but he has the mindset to do it, to step out. He takes a lot of risks in doing so, but also he is very successful because he takes the risks. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting because we look at player intelligence, we look at risk taking, we look at technique as all elements of a player in possession of the ball. But you're actually saying there that you know there's a the quality of the action is the type of defending. Do we do we overlook that as coaches? I know I know you you know we're in, we're in different countries here, but I know in the US we don't look at you know, one-to-one defending is not looked upon as the quality of the action. It's more mm-hmm. just apply pressure. Yeah, it's really interesting because I was watching a game just today and there was a situation where a winger in a one-on-one defending situation let his opponent turn and the whole pressing action from the team was very good. But because of that one, I would say it's not a mistake, but not an optimal football action. He... He just makes all the efforts of the other players um, well obsolete. And there are, I don't know if you have seen that clip of Arsene Wenger talking about scanning. And yes. Yes, it was on Twitter. And I was thinking that this is with the ball, but can we apply it without the ball? And I think the quality of the player where he can read what possibilities the opponent has on the ball and adjust his position a little bit to maybe prevent the possibility because he the space or maybe he can offer the space and intercept the ball. I think without the ball, that type of scanning and reading the game, that's uh, very rare but very, very valuable uh, quality. Yeah, I want to stay on this because you mentioned the word that I, I really pick up on these days is risk. And when we talk about individual defending in a pressing system, I always think, you know, sometimes especially on social media, we, we move in extremes in coaches. So it's either the player who isn't fit enough to get high up the pitch that's individually poor pressing, or it's the player that's ran 50 yards past the defender and now they're out of the game and that's individually poor pressing actions. But the one that causes the most problems for me is the player that actually puts themselves in a good position to press and doesn't, is just on the, you know, you mentioned front foot there. Yeah, doesn't apply front foot defending, doesn't back up, just stands and, and almost screens. And then that allows the player time to look up and the pressure is broken. So I guess what I'm going to ask is how could we improve that? that element of risk, where does that come from? The training pitch, the attitude of the coach, how can we improve that? Uh, I think, obviously, it's a skill. So maybe some players are born with a higher level or maybe they get it easily, but I think everybody can improve it. So it's definitely a skill. And I read an interview with Tedesco on Spielferlagerung and he was talking about one of his principles in pressing is not stopping in front of the man who has the ball but actually running through and trying to make the contact and the way he trains it is he can train this in in football games but also maybe up they just throw the ball around play catch and one of the rules is that you have to uh, touch the player with both hands so obviously you have to run through to him so everywhere when you are doing this in games, in warm-up, in every single time you're on the training pitch, just try to include this implicitly in the activities you are doing. It's funny because it's such a simple thing, isn't it? But yeah, that just conditions or, or creates a little bit more awareness of players of what you want as a coach. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe if you have this one pressing or this one player who is not really doing it, maybe you put him in a... You, so you play a game and you say to the opponent who is in his zone that, for example, that team, they uh, score a goal with the ball going through that player, then that counts as two or three. And then obviously his teammates are going to encourage him that come on, win the ball, that's the moment where we have to press. He's the player we have to take out. So you can come up with all kinds of uh, ways to train this. Going back to the opposition analysis then, and not in terms of preparation, but more in terms of in the game itself, whenever a team changes, so if you're successful pressing after 15, 20 minutes and you know, you've knocked the team out of their stride and if it's a good team, they'll probably adapt change themselves so say if it's a flat back four and and you've applied pressure and then they move into a three to try and break it and add an extra one in a central area how can we i suppose teach coach players to be flexible and adaptable when defending uh, i think here video analysis uh, can make a big difference so actually for the team to recognize what is happening in the game and when the opposition changes because as a coach, you you just cannot shout in that okay now we have a different approach. Football doesn't doesn't work like that. So the players have to realize, and for that I think scenario games are really really interesting. So let's say we are one zero behind and we press really really high and they always play the long ball the opponent. Okay, what do we do then? How do we have to stand? How to collect the second ball? But also uh, coming up with this different. Um, uh, sort of different restrictions on, on so for example on the weekend we played against a team whose approach is in the middle of third to always bring the ball to the left and wait they are they have more numbers there circulate the ball and wait until we go to the side and quickly change so maybe on the training ground we can say okay the play the team who starts the game with the ball in this space um, if you can make five passes into this space and then score then maybe that counts as two or three and come up with all kinds of restrictions on how a team can play, uh, new rules, implicit rules. And through these kinds of games and doing a lot and a lot of different games every week, getting ready for a new kind of approach, a new kind of attacking approach, how do we press that? Uh, with time it is going to come and the intelligence is going to come. Just a quick reminder to anyone listening to set aside a few minutes of your day and check out Sports Lab 360, a new online program focused on player development from a game understanding and soccer IQ perspective. The program empowers you as a coach to control the tactical development of your players outside of time spent on the field. Use the platform to assign soccer homework to your players and select modules that coincide with the tactical focus of training. Players will work through the module you assign, they see game film examples, engage with the animated perspective, interactive lesson, take the quiz at the end to check for understanding. Helps you to identify potential areas of development on a team and player basis while also optimizing the limited time you have on the field with your players. Definitely go and check out Sports Lab 360, really excited to team up with them. Back to Abel. You're obviously a big believer in work on the training pitch backed up with video work on the defensive end rather than a, a tactics board or just walkthrough sessions? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Isolating can work also just to get the basic shape right with the team, but I don't know what your take on it. 
this is, but when you are playing, so you have an isolated drill and the ball stops every time. Maybe the triggers are not there every time, but maybe the distances between the players or the general shaping, I think we can, we can get right at the beginning with these kinds of isolated walkthrough sessions. Not to get into an opposed, unopposed, isolated uh, conversation, but uh, the greatest defend coaching of defending was Arrigo Saki. In like that influenced me a lot in terms of defensive organization and how to set up exercises. And majority of that video was all unopposed. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of unopposed training, a lot, and. Or all the clips I see on Twitter and YouTube from him tend to be unopposed. And then Klopp took over Mainz. He did a lot of unopposed training. So like four hours on shaping on the training pitch. And okay, what happens if this happens? What happens if that, if that happens? Mm. And I think both can work. So there are obviously more than one way to success. But it's just matters on what you believe and what the team, team believes, I guess. Um, let's move on to relationship between players. And in one of your articles, one of your blogs, I really, really enjoyed you talking about the directing phase. I've never heard it referred to that before. So can you expand on that? Yeah. So when we are defending, we are looking for for the pressure moment when to apply the pressure against the ball. Because for me, that's the whole point of, of this whole approach. At one point or another, we want to meet with the ball and put as much pressure as possible. So... What we are looking for as a team is to control the game and we want to direct the ball into the pressure moment. So we give certain actions to the opponent team that will make it more likely that the ball goes into that moment for us. Almost provoking the team to move into a certain area then? Is that, that what you would say directing is? Yes, exactly. So we cut out a number of possible solutions for them, but we offer some solutions that are better for us and then when does this change to the preventing phase and then what must the team take into consideration in order to adapt uh i would say that maybe this is not so clear but in my mind these two phases kind of occur at the same time so with preventing the same time we want to like eliminate the most dangerous options from them so let's say we offer the pass to the sideline in the previous scenario but we don't close the possibility to give a pass which breaks our lines then obviously that's a pretty big problem for us so we have to look for both directing the ball in a direction or in a place or in a certain scenario and then preventing the really dangerous scenario you mentioned before about adapting and being flexible and the work you know the work on the training ground and then the work in the video analysis and that would be in order to prevent a coach from yelling and screaming the answers to players which obviously doesn't work but what does a coach or how should a coach coach a pressing system on the sideline what should they be aware of what what should they let go if that makes sense yeah so there are I guess like a common football language and being on the same page with the players is really, really, uh, uh, really important. So obviously the most uh, basic thing to get right is how high we are going to defend in certain situations, how low the team should be and when to push up, when to drop back. So does that 
every 11 players or at least the 10 outfield players move in unison on the pitch and from that so when we put the pressure and working exactly on the KD's triggers uh, and in certain situations when do we direct so what is the the option we want the opponent to take and how can we achieve that and preventing which is the most dangerous option and then what look for from the second line and the supporting players so that they cover those options and then as an as an analyst how would you judge or how do you judge the success of pressing after a game so the objective way would be to just look at raw numbers like passes per defensive actions or pressing actions against the ball or how high did we win the ball back but as always with the numbers these need to be put into context with the video but even with the video if we just know what we prepared before the game so we can look for those situations how as the game goes we can also see okay maybe could we have found better solutions or were there moments where we could have been more aggressive and actually if we talk about this and the players are are intelligent and on board it's really interesting that what i have found is the players also propose their own solutions and in the game they they have ideas and that as coaches or as an analyst we can learn a lot from them i think wow isn't that a, a novelty there then as we involve players in the process they take on ownership and leadership roles to help us deal with it during games yeah absolutely but even just like the last game we had one of the central defenders said like in the half time okay this is what we have to do let's push up and i think it was absolutely the right scenario but it's very important that the players are not just waiting for the coach to instruct but they really feel this what to do and they are working as one unit because that's that's the most important and everybody's working for the same purpose you know magic happens yeah i think over here you know you're, you're talking a culture there right you're talking a tactical culture where you're having an ongoing process about the game and and certain principles that are co-owned by the players and the staff yes absolutely so i think even impressing because there are so many messy situations so so many things can go, go wrong because it's just so fast and you have to uh, react to situations so so quickly it i think it doesn't work when we just tell players what to do and they try to do it but don't understand why or they can't react and they don't take responsibility because a lot of times a player might be beaten but he can correct if he really feels that he has the responsibility and the ownership of what he is doing so let's take this a step back back onto the training field and talk me through what an effective training session looks like that's designed to improve pressing so i think one thing is coaches sometimes or i hear that coaches say okay let's work on the defending first because if we don't concede then yeah that's a good basis and that's absolutely true but i think to train pressing effectively you need a good build-up because the better the build-up the harder it is to press and the more situations are going to come up that you can coach and talk about so i think uh and then from there if you have the basic shaping right i just take a game-based approach and look at what the opponent is doing or what are the situations i want to train and try to make implicit tools as i said before
sometimes coach education leads us down the wrong path then, Abel, doesn't it? Because it would tell us that, you know, if you did that in a game, and, and I completely agree, training session, your principles in possession will largely determine your, your positioning out of possession. So if you did that in a coaching course, though, they would tell you, no, we're only focusing on this area. But that's wrong. Yeah, because it works in unison. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah, so that's actually quite interesting because when you are doing your coaching, that is, you are alone with the two teams. But I think the most effective way is to work. You have at least one coach working with the pressing team and one coach working with the team in possession. And then it's unison, you both work on the build-up and you also work on the pressing and everything improves. Mm, fantastic yeah because we can also and i've done this many times you know you lure yourself into a false sense of security especially impressing whenever you're successful on the training field but it might just be as the other team aren't being coached or set up correctly yeah absolutely can you talk a little bit about again uh, one of your articles the middle third press uh, when a team should adopt the approach of not pressing the ball but covering then central options and then offering the passes out wide. Why, why should a team do this and what benefits do it create? Um, I think one of the times that a team can approach or take this approach is, for example, if a team has a lot of players in their first line. So, for example, we see often that um, the number six comes between the two central defenders and maybe another six goes between the central defender and the fullback. And maybe you can have five players in the first line then, or at least four. And maybe you don't have the numbers or the necessary distances to press them effectively. Then it's better to cover the pass options and wait for them to play the ball forward when they have a worse structure and you have a better because you have more players, you are more compact. But also I saw Everton take this approach against Liverpool. So as we know, Liverpool are excellent at... Um, having the fullbacks push up and playing to them with diagonal balls. And if you don't have the first line putting pressure coming out, then when this diagonal ball happens, you still have the distances between the lines really, really close. So the players can have the fullbacks when they put the pressure on the diagonal ball. So you can get, sorry, you just broke up there. So the, the wingers can help the fullbacks, is that what you're saying? Uh, I mean that if you have the two holding midfielders in front of the back four, so you don't have the holding midfielders going out and press all the time with the first line, with the forwards, mm -hmm. then when the diagonal ball comes to the winger, then let's say the fullback goes to pressure and immediately the holding midfielder is there covering the diagonal uh, lane and you have a lot better situation then to deal with uh, fullback who is maybe really good one against one or an overlapping fullback in a two against one situation. And then once once possession is won, a little bit further back from a high press, a, a problem. A, I always say this is the hardest thing to coach, is the decision when to when to transition to attack or when to transition into securing and, and possessing the ball. Um, how do you work on that? Uh, for me, the most important is that when we win the ball and we can finally turn forward, we have as many options to release the, release the ball as possible. And we want to put the line um, or release the ball in width and depth as far as possible without avoiding the pressure from the opponent. 
So I think it's good to have nice compactness in the pressing. So with the forwards are close, we have a lot of options. And also to have uh, players on different lines so that players can actually uh, make the run forward and affect the spaces. And that's very difficult for the defenders to defend. Okay, do I put the pressure on the ball or do I stay back a little bit more because I see this guy coming from deep, totally unmarked and soon I will be underloaded in my zone. So that's the two things I really try to focus on. How much work should coaches be doing individually with players on video analysis? Because, you know, as much as it's, you know, pressing is a collective uh, identity of a team, but we said earlier, a lot of it goes down to it's it's usually broken by one player, not by the whole team. So, you know, how can we help individuals, I suppose, off the field improve their awareness or, or how important is this? Uh, I think it's very important, but also it, it, to a certain degree, it has to be uh, done individually and that's the best approach. So obviously there are some team sessions where we watch video together of the opposing team, but there are some players who really like to watch like their favorite players or the best teams, how they press and they are really open and they ask some situations. They like to talk about it, but other players are sort of like, okay, they watch the five minute video uh, or three minute video and that's that's enough for them. And they, they didn't, don't really like to work more with the video. And there is no point in pushing it on them because learning is individual, it's not linear. So I think the best way is to be available and try to sort of push it a little bit at the beginning and see who catches on and who likes it and with them really take it to another level. Yeah, that, that's really, really, really important what you just said there about learning isn't linear and the amount of times that we kind of sit in an office and, and talk to a player and wonder why they're not engaged. And I've done this so many times, but it's not bad if they're not, right? Because it's a different, people react differently to different settings. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe with, when the player is talking to the coach, they're... You know, there are some things that a player cannot say to the coach, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So there is obviously a power difference there. But at the same time, maybe if you are a staff member, a player can come to you that, okay, I don't understand this and the coach is now really upset because we lost and I don't want to ask and he has a lot on his table. Okay, can you help me? So it's important to be available. And I think that's, that's the best way to make the players engaged. Last one for you. You... You're obviously working at a at a really high level at a, at a big club, and I can imagine the, you know, how busy you are and and the amount of hours that that takes up during the day. But you know what? Why I wanted to get you on the podcast as well was the work that you put out. Uh, how much of your or where do you find the time to watch other teams and study other coaches and study the game away from that? Uh, well, just. When we are traveling on the bus, obviously, it's uh, <laughs> always a good time to <laughs> work on your own stuff. But I think you have to make it a priority. And that's what I love about football, the tactical aspect. And I couldn't, couldn't exist without that's, that's why I do it. Uh, I just love it. And then it's, it's not hard, hard to find the time, to be honest. What teams are you watching today? That who do you look at the fixture list every week and say, "Well, I gotta get their game on a Saturday night, or I gotta watch that over the weekend." 
Anyone in particular? Yeah, I follow Tottenham religiously, and also now it hasn't Luton. I follow Southampton a lot because they are really, really interesting. But Dortmund is an obvious example. So kind of the hipster teams. <laughs> but, <laughs> they are usually hipster teams. But to be honest, I've been watching Dinamo Zagreb lately. Right. A lot. Yeah, and they are, uh, to be honest, they are excellent, excellent at the defensive phase. So I like to just pop on like a random Europa League game sometimes, watch it on Instagram, and and maybe I find a team that uh, that triggers my fancy. <laughs> right, right. You haven't got an MLS or NWSL team yet then in America? Um, no, but one of our <laughs> former players just went to Kansas City, so I oh. have to watch him. I want to want to watch him. But I bought on Central Defender, Hungarian International, and I'm sure he has a bright future there. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'll take a look out for him. Awesome. Abel, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Gary, for having me. Thanks so much to Abel for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I would say the biggest thing I got from that was tactical culture. And as much as we talk about culture online, and I think we're, we're now a lot better as coaches, as a community of becoming aware of culture and its importance. And I think if you would say to a coach, you know, are, are you building culture? Everyone would say, yeah, I'm working on it every day. And that's great. But I think what we can improve on or what we can become even more aware of is to incorporate your on the field culture with your off the field culture. And I think that becomes so, so important when we're talking about defensive systems. You know, it's great developing leaders and developing players to become responsible. And But, you know, the next level to that is surely to go on the field and take that on to the pitch and communicate to one another and solve problems and really take ownership for their own performance. And, you know, Abel gave us a number of ways that we can do that and improve that. I think individualizing feedback is a big, big step. I think the training sessions are huge. We had Doug Lamoff on here a few weeks ago. I think that's a big piece Doug was talking about, how to make feedback better, how to get players engaging, how to have dialogue with players on the field. I think that's massive. Another thing that I talk about a lot in the pressing book is actually session design, is how to stress players to make those decisions defensively in games. And I think you have to be a little bit more creative when you're doing defensive sessions because if it's just attack v defense, set six against four i think it's far too easy i think nine times out of ten the defensive team is going to be successful but when they're defending in games and maybe they're being pulled in one direction or maybe it's in transition then they're obviously exposed to a greater deal of pressure they're obviously exposed to a greater amount of decisions and it's up to us as coaches to try and get them confidence in doing that in games and and i think the biggest part of that is what one of his last points there is you have to make it a priority and he was talking about his learning there as a coach and how he made time to watch games and get better at things but I think that goes down as well to how we make our sessions how we create this tactical culture you know it's no point in sitting a team in front of a video or sending them clips of Barcelona or Pep Guardiola's Manchester City and saying watch this it's great they're probably not going to have any interest in it but if we sit down with them and analyze their performance and look at ways to improve their performance and look at ways in which they learn and maybe meet them in their terms, it's gonna lead to a higher level of engagement and it will improve our tactical culture that they want to have these discussions 
and that it might actually lift up a level or two where they become more engaged or they disagree with a coach on one or two things and they want to put their input in i think that's all healthy so we'd love to hear your thoughts on this as always at gary Kernine on twitter at gary Kernine on instagram thanks so much for listening to the podcast don't forget to check out abel's blogs thanks for listening have a great week goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.